Hi guys and welcome to the Fit Mind Project podcast with your hosts Barry Ash and Laura Ash and today we are absolutely honoured to be joined by Beiju Solanke. Hello, Laura. Hello, Barry. Hello. Hi. Now, we know Beiju um, very well, and um, I'm sure he might explain a little bit of that. But I want to give you guys an intro to Beiju before we actually start. Beiju is an author, a speaker, and a coach, and he's worked in both the academic and the corporate world. He's currently running his own business where he's training and coaching um, other entrepreneurs and business owners on strategy for sales, people development and leadership. Now, Beiju combines nine years of sales experience and four years as a psychology lecturer. And he combines the psychology of human interactions with practical sales experience to provide business growth and sales strategies to his clients. Now, Beiju actually left his job as a sales director in 2007 to start his own business. And in 2010, he won South End Businessman of the Year. In 2012, he published his first book, I'm an Entrepreneur, Get Me Out of Here, which contains interviews from 11 entrepreneurs talking about how whatever your background is, anyone can be an entrepreneur and start their own business. Now, Beiju is really a man who takes bold steps and inspires so many people. And as I say, we're so lucky to have him here today. So thank you, Beiju. Thank you, Lauren, for that introduction. There's one good thing to talk about for a minute, but no, it sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> so, Beiju, we always start with we want to know your story. We want to know who you are and how you come to do what you do. And I know our guys are going to get so much from that. So tell us your story. Wow. So where do we want to start? As I said, my, my background, I, I got a degree in psychology. So my first sort of proper job, if you like, was as a psychology lecturer. Now, that, that came about by by accident because I was working in in a shop, a friend's shop, and there were, in the paper there was an advert for a, a part-time psychology lecturer and it, all it said was psychology degree essential, everything else desirable. Well, I had a degree, nothing desirable, so I thought I'll qualify. So I applied for the job as an associate part-time psychology lecturer. I think it was about six hours a week or something. And I got it. Um, the, the really attractive thing is like £14 an hour. And when you're working in a shop, six, seven, eight pounds an hour, well, not even that, you think £14 an hour is great, but that's actually £14 contact hour. So if you've got two hours of lecturing, you get paid £28, but it doesn't take into account the six hours prep that you've got to do for the lecture. So, so the service sounded great. So, yes, but within four or five months, I um, applied for a full-time position. I became a full-time psychology lecturer. And I, I loved it. I loved I, I didn't know I loved training and, and teaching and exchanging ideas and it was fantastic because I was teaching adults so they adults who came on like an access course and these were adults who for various reasons didn't uh, pursue formal education you know probably had a family and kids and these are adults who was later in life thinking do you know what I want to make something of myself and they want to get to uni so it's like a one year access course that allowed them to get to uni so I used to teach these adult psychology which was fascinating I was like 20 Five twenty six teaching like forty year olds, you know the psychology of human behaviour, which in there sitting and thinking with life experiences. I'm this little whippersnapper come and read a few books and think he knows a bit. So that was really good. Plus also teaching um, child development. I was teaching nursery nurses child psychology. So I did that for for uh, about three or four years. But 
I, I love sport and I wanted to really be a sports psychologist. So I took a part-time master's in sports psychology while I was teaching. And once I finished the master's, I had my dissertation to do. And I realized that with teaching, I, during the four years, I got promoted really quickly. So I was course leader on various courses and sort of deputy head of department. But what you, what you find with teaching, anybody who's listening to this who's been in academia, the higher you get up in academia, the less teaching you do. And it's all administration and meetings and running courses. And, and I, I don't know how I had this foresight, but I looked around and I thought, if I stay another four or five years in this job, I'm going to be like indoctrinated in there, you know, corduroy jackets, you know, with patches on my elbows, and that'll be it. I'll be there for life, and I'll be like an academic. And I didn't want that. So I left uh, to finish my dissertation. And I left and I thought, do you know what? People say I talk a lot, let's find a sales job. So I found some poxy little sales job in London. And, and I got that and I, I started there with no intention of staying there. And um, I thought I stayed there for six months and finished my master's. And I did, I got my master's. It was like January 99, I got my master's and I thought I'll leave. But all of a sudden something strange happened. My, I started getting some really good sales, some really good deals. And the company I was with... Um, was it was what was um, uh, was selling marketing campaigns to recruit international students. So it's in the academic world. So I was quite strong. I was a psychologist. I'm a lecturer. I've got a degree. So I I I thought you know I'm better than the salesman. But because my target market was universities, I used to have meetings at universities and say I'm not a salesperson. I'm and I'm a psychologist. I'm a lecturer. And I used to just start talking to these deans and faculties and departments and build great rapport, not knowing I was building great rapport. I was just having a chat. And by the end of these meetings, they used to say, so what is all this about? How do we recruit students? And this is pre-internet. So you had to advertise in magazines and go to fairs around the world, like trade, uh, education fairs to recruit students. And, um, and they used to get some really big deals because what I did know then, what I do now is sales. Sales is all about rapport and then trusting you and then, then listening to you and then you meeting their needs. And I was doing that. So I was going back to the office, getting these big deals. And they said, what are you doing? How can we get these big deals? I said, well, I don't know, I'm going to chat. And what I was building is trust because we were academics, if you like. So six months turned into nine years. What All of a sudden, money consumed me. You know, I was traveling around the world. It was easy. My second child was born. So it was like, do you know what? I'll do the psychology later. I'll do the sports psychology later. And later, become three months, become six months, become one year, become two years. And then they kept on feeding the pigeon. You know, if you feed a pigeon once, the pigeon keep coming back irrespective of those food. But they kept on giving me many promotions. You're head of this department, head of UK, head of American sales, associate director, director, you know, training, whatever. They kept on making sure that they fed me, my, fed my ego, so I stayed and stayed and stayed. And so between 2000, when it was it, 99 and 2006, 7, it was like a blur of just doing it. And then it was probably towards the end of 2005. I thought, do I really want to do this? And I, I came across coaching in 2001. But I talked to Great Game for four or five years. You know, what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do. And this is where my mindset was. Where it was very much about, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, who would listen to me? Then I went to Tony Robbins in 2007. His last, supposedly last UPW in the UK. Big rah-rah event, as you do. And I went there. And I came out of that event thinking, the message was, you're in control of your destiny. No one is responsible for your decisions you make. And if, if the, in the end, uh, you haven't got what you've got, you can't blame anybody but yourself. 
whatever ups and downs you have. And I walk out of that event and I made a vow I've got to leave and start my own thing. Write my resignation letter, put it in my pocket, and the only, then I realized, what is the only reason really stopping me leaving my job? And it was just pure finances, making sure that enough money put aside so, you know, the mortgage was paid and stuff. And I worked how much that was, and then I did a bit of property. Um, and I, but I, I went into the property environment. I, I sort of worked with other property investors so to find out how to do it right, if you like. And within a year, I bought and sold a couple of properties, and I was able to leave 2000, October 14, 2007, handing in my letter. And this was a really key thing for me, because when I handed my letter in, the director of the company said to me, I'm not surprised you want to leave, but why now? And I explained, he goes, well, it's October now, Christmas is coming up, it's next two months, you could earn some really good commission, why don't you just play the game a bit, keep your head down, have a few meetings, do a few stuff, go away Christmas, come back after Christmas and say, do you know why, I've had a, I've had a thought, I'm going to leave. And I said, yeah, I could do that, but then it'll be Easter, it'll be the summer. And I said, no, I've got to make a decision. So... One thing that what I do, once I make a decision, I'll make it, I'll follow through. And I left. And then the rest is history. Then you know, I, I think my naivety got me through the last the, the, the last sort of the first four or five years of my business, pitching people that supposedly you shouldn't be pitching and getting deals and getting stuff. Uh, and then yeah, one businessman of the year, as you said, wrote my book and been training entrepreneurs and teachers and kids ever since. That's really cool. And what I what I've really picked up on was that you're you were not being who you actually wanted to be. You were kind of being led along by everything. And I think nowadays so many people are led along with life that they don't actually really focus on what they want or who they want to be. hundred percent right, because um, we have this perception that um, money, it's all about the money. Now, can you live without money? The answer is yes, but can you live the life that you want about mm. that's, a, that's a different question. So there's people out there, you know, I saw a program the other day about someone who's an eco-living, got some farm, you know, is going to live there for 10 years on, on sort of 10, 10p a day or something. But that's his choice. So you can live without money, but people want stuff, and I get that. But if all you're driven by is just money, it's a very hollow life. And I found that that, during the time I was working for my corporate, uh, money, it was great. You know, I, I remember probably a three or four months before I went to Tony Robbins, I was in America, and I got one of the biggest deals that the company's ever got, and my commission check was, was silly. And back then, the boss was so, he believed that everybody's motivated by money, that he paid your wage by check weekly. So he, you, you got. So if you got a deal on a Monday, you could claim the commission on the order on a Tuesday and see the commission of your work of your deal on the Friday. It's not mm. like three months down the road where you see it. So you see an immediate impact of your results. So I got this commission. I got this deal in America. Got this commission. Uh, I worked out the commission. I thought, yeah, that's healthy, very healthy. Phone the office up. Oh, well done, Bain. Well done. Great deal. Blah blah blah. Mm. You know, see you when you get back. Put the phone down. Sat on the bed in the hotel, and I thought, is this it? Is this my life? Yeah, I've got a great family at home, all the rest of it. Is this it? Is the best I'm going to feel is for a few moments I'll get the deal, and then then what? What have I achieved? Who? What have I created? How have I contributed to the world? Blah, blah, blah. So I can't do this. I'm to make someone else rich. Yeah, I might be financially comfortable, but I'll be soulless. I'll be dead. I'll be, I'm, I'm, I'm living but dying inside. What's the point? So I wasn't being who I was being. And it, and it takes a long time. And, and, 
people I was on the early train the other day to London, seven six thirty train for a breakfast meeting. And there's people on the train, I'm thinking it's probably eighty percent of the people here who if money if money wasn't the issue, they wouldn't be on this train. Yeah. They're plugged into the matrix. Massively, massively. You know, it's like um it, it's having that shift, you know, with stuff that you do and I do. If it, we could earn ten times what we do at this moment in time, if we went into some big corporate and did what we did as a training director, you went into some corporate as a as the health professional. Say KPMG said, "Well, we want all our staff to be healthy, and we want our own internal trainers." You could apply for it and earn hundred k each, and it'll be great. But <clears throat> would you be contributing to the world like you are? No, and. So, yes, I wasn't being who I was being, and, and leaving my job allowed me to find that. Sometimes you don't know who you want to be, but you, 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 you find that through the journey, and I wouldn't change it for the world. And here's the thing. When you left, now, a lot of people see change as a scary thing, and you did the ultimate where you were like, no, I'm going to change. This isn't good enough. And we see a lot of people get to that point where it's, it's too late for them to change. And they see it as a scary thing because they're unhappy. But I know you talk a lot about taking the blue pill or the red pill and, you know, which one. And and what kind of mindset did you have to have to be able to carry through with that? Because surely there must have been some adversity there, some barriers. Because as you say, you've got a mortgage, you've got a wife, you've got kids. You know, to no, take that really, two, There's two things there. One, you said there's some, some people think it's too late to change. It's never too late to change. Never, ever too late to change if the motivation and your reason to change is, is big enough. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this quote, you know, if your excuses are bigger than, enough to, bigger than your reasons, then you'll always be where you are. But if your reasons are big enough than your excuses, you'll make some movement. Yeah. yeah. So there's never too late to change. In terms of blue and red pill, let me put that in some context. I'm not. This is not an iconic. You take, you know, a bit of heroin or cocaine. It's not about that. So the, the, the red pill, the blue, the red blue pill is you stay where you are. You carry what you're doing. You make the same decisions, have the same uh, goals, and just, you know, repeat one year ten times. And the red pill is making complete change, saying I'm going to change my life, and it's, it's taking that pill and saying doing what it takes. So it's not telling people. You must live a different life. You're saying, what's the life you want? What are you doing to live that life? And if they're, if they're saying, I haven't, I'm not living the life that I want, well, then stop complaining. That's it. You can't, you, can't, you can't complain about what you have and not do something about it. Mm-hmm. So my mindset was, it, it just got to a point whereby I can't, you, what, what's the point? Why would I, I was 36, 37, so relatively old compared to a lot of people who start their businesses. And I thought, I don't want to, um, end up 65, 70, sort of retired-ish, thinking, what did I achieve? No way, can't do it. So it was just a question of, it wasn't a choice, it was. It had to happen. It was like, you get to a point whereby you're, you haven't eaten for five days, and someone says, here's some food. Well, you've got to eat it. It doesn't matter what it tastes like. It doesn't matter what it tastes like. And then you want to get to a position where you create more choices. So when I... When I talk about mindset, it's not you know having a positive mindset. Is is the mindset that you currently, is the story that you're currently playing in your head serving you? Mm-hmm. You know, is the story that you're playing in your head that uh, uh, someone else is too busy, I don't want to bother them, serving you? And that's what you got to ask yourself. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And what what mindset did it take for you to actually take that leap? Well, you know? the other thing is it's about catalysts. So. 
that that one bit about in the hotel in the, in America. Yeah. Is it it? Went to UPW, and Robin's talking about you know, don't look at the resources. Look at how resourceful you can become. Yeah. And it was a combination of things. That's the other thing is people look for epiphanies and like light bulb moments and say that was the moment. When you look back, you join the dots. But usually it's loads of little micro moments and you join them up and you say, right, okay, you make a decision. And if we start talking about, right, what's the one moment and the one thing that makes that big decision, it becomes too overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It's just too big. It's like saying, well, they get to a point whereby, do you know what, enough's enough. Okay, now enough's enough. Making a decision and taking action is two different things. Yeah. So I made a decision in America that I'm definitely going to leave. What? The actions then was about change. My mindset changed about not, oh, I can't do all these obstacles. Right? What do I need to do to start getting to a place where the decision becomes easy for me? So I started going to seminars, listening to workshops, speaking to different people, hanging around with different people. So when I got to the point where I left, I had my lettering, it wasn't such a big deal. Because in my head, I've already... Uh, immersed myself amongst that population, amongst that thing about I'm going to leave my job and start my own thing. It wasn't like, wow, so new. But yeah, the next moment, one day in an office, next week I'm in a laptop in my loft on my own. And yeah, then there's a, there's a different set of challenges. Then I started networking during the day and I felt guilty. Networking, having a glass of drink in my hand, eating a buffet. This is work. Yeah. Hang on, being on the computer doing this stuff. So it took me about six months to really shift from the nine to five, have to work during those times, and not work other times. You know, changing the entrepreneurial approach to life. It's not, you're not working, it's, it's, this is your life. So, you know, if you happen to, you know, want to go to see a movie two o'clock in the afternoon, you can. And if you want to work eight, nine o'clock at night, which you, which you call work, then you can. Yeah. Whereas when you're waiting for a corporate, what I found was, you finish at 5, 5.30, all of a sudden, this is my time, I choose to do And they won't go to a workshop or to a seminar that might help them grow their business because this is my time. I want to go and watch Coronation Street. I want to go to the gym but just look at the cross trainer. I'm not going to ride it. Yeah. I've been to the gym, you know. I'm going to have sweet potato because someone said I had it, but I'll have a roast next to it, you know. It's, this is then they claim my time because I've given 40 hours to someone else this is my time I do what I want as opposed to investing in themselves whereas when you're working for yourself as an entrepreneur and I suggest to people the mindset you've got to have is don't it's not about work is is whatever you're doing and the story you're playing serving you if it's not serving you then don't do it because to, to change you've got to change something Yes, you've got to change something. And, you know, you've got to create momentum. Momentum's a great thing. You know, it's like you make one little movement, what can that take? So it's getting started. So, you know, it's it's the, you know, procrastination is a thief of time. The one thing that you, me, and all the listeners have in common, I guarantee you, some will be taller than me, some will be uglier than me, some will be richer than me, some will be poorer than me, some will have bigger families, but we've all got the same amount of time. Mm. All got the same amount of time. No one's got more time than me. And now, so then you look at what what are you doing in that time? What's what is effective? What's being productive? Um, are we all perfect? Not at all. Do I waste time? Of course we do, because we're all human. We wouldn't otherwise. But it's that, but it's st- stop complaining for what you have. Stop complaining about what you haven't got if you're not willing to do something about it. That's and, a really good good 
phrase there, definitely. Because as you say, you could have just stayed where you were and, yeah. you know, but you decided to make that change. And, uh, yeah, that's that's there's, key. Uh, there's a lot of people who I know have started their own thing after they've been made redundant. Now, respect to them, but the decision was out of their hands. Someone, some event happened that they took redundancy, voluntary or compulsory. They've created this vacuum in their lives unintentionally. Well, how do I feel it? Well, I'll start my own thing. Yeah. Whereas I actually left my job. Right? Left my job. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else. All I'm saying is, is, is making that decision and choice, all of a sudden the pressure not to fail is even greater. So definitely taking the bold steps. And I know you also talk about you are your attitude and yeah. how important that is in life. Because, you know, tell us a bit about that. Well, you can teach people skills. You can enhance people's talents. You can show people a different strategy to life and work. You can give them different techniques to sell and grow. But what you, what you, what's very difficult to teach someone, to give someone, is a, a, the right attitude. Mm -hmm. The attitude that allows them to be open to suggestion, to be open to new ideas, to be allow it to be open to, to deal with failure. A lot of people don't take a step, not because they don't know how to take a step. So if I take this step, because it looks big to them, if I succeed, great. However, I'm quite foul. That's fine. But what they can't deal with is their reaction to the failure. Am I strong enough to lift myself up as a reaction to the failure that I might experience? Yeah. Not the failure itself. And that's why people don't take that first step. Because they don't trust their own emotional strength to deal with failure thereafter. Yeah. So then they come up with excuses. I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm too busy. I'm this, I'm that to not even contemplate taking that step and thinking, wow, you know, if someone gave you a tightrope, one metre high, I'll do it. Ten metre high, I'll do it. Hundred metres high, all. Mm. But you've done it, but the only difference is the height, but you've done it at, but the, 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 the risk of failure at one metre and hundred metres is exactly the same. The consequence of failure is bigger. Yeah. That's the difference. People are thinking, well, the consequences of failure is bigger. So I'll see what I'll do. I won't leave my job. I'll just investigate a little bit and see what's out there mm -hmm. while they're in the job, which is fine, but I won't take any action. The consequence of that failure is not so great because it's still got a job. It's all right. The actions that you take when you've left the job or committed to leaving the job are still the same actions, but the consequences of failure are greater. Mm. The emotional reaction to it is because all the tools and the resources are out there to allow you to deal with the mechanical reaction to failure, right? You know, you, you want to grow your client list. If, if the technique you use to try and get more clients doesn't work, you use a different technique. However, your emotional reaction and your confidence and your self-belief would, would be hit if you're not strong enough to deal with that and walk, to, to work through it the time it takes to get back to where you need to be would be longer. You lose momentum, you lose confidence, and then you start procrastinating and all the other life stuff gets in the way. So attitude allows you 
to bridge the gap between uh, your 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 reaction, your emotional reaction to failure. Yeah. So, Beijing, you, you're working with a lot of um, the next generation coming through the schools at the moment. Why is that so important to you to get your message across to the next generation? I, um, when I left my corporate job, I started going to all these seminars and workshops, how to start a business, how to think great, how to do this, all the rest of it, right? Really great stuff. And what you find is 80% of what they tell you is about mindset. It's the psychology of how you think, how you behave, your attitude and how you network, how you communicate, how you listen, not the actual, the mechanics of the thing. And it got me thinking, why was this not taught to me at schools? Why, when I was younger... They taught me, like, how to, um, what osmosis is. They taught me the, the four sections of my heart. They taught me Pythagoras. <coughs> they taught me <coughs> what verbs and nouns were. They taught me when World War I, the World War II started and why it started, the Battle of Britain in 1066 and why a tapestry, which is great. It's fantastic. Guess what? All of those things I can Google now. Yeah. Right? I can get information as fast. I might not be in Google with them, but I had Children's Britannia. But anyway. But they didn't tell me how to think, how to love, how to show gratitude, how to appreciate gratitude, how to deal with failure, how to communicate in a way that's effective, how to how to persuade ethically, how to um, position yourself for a job interview that allows others to think, well, you are something out of this world. How to start a business without needing money. How to save, how to understand what a mortgage is, how to understand what an interest rate is in the context of your life, not just GDP, mm. how to, uh, the power of your peer group, that if you hang around with people that aren't pushing their boundaries, then you're not going to push your boundaries. So why are, so what, what motivates me to teach the next generation is, that should be a default. And what I found was, that is what entrepreneurship is, because the word entrepreneur comes from the French word, that means to undertake. However, so there's no. So my thing is, there's no greater undertaking than your life's purpose. But I recently found out that the word entrepreneur comes from a Sanskrit word meaning a runa pruna, and the direct translation of that means inner motivation. Ah. Entrepreneurship is all about inner spirit, inner motivation. It's what's inside you that you then undertake an undertaking on and uh, and create in the world. So why is entrepreneurship only available for those individuals who want to start a business? Why can't entrepreneurial thinking be available to someone who wants to be a singer, wants to start a vocation, wants to be an insurance broker, wants to be a mortgage and so on? Why, even if they want to work with someone else, to be entrepreneurial working within an organization is possible. Now, previously, employers would be quite threatened by that. Well, if I allow that creativity and curiosity to develop, they will leave. But now, what you find is, is more and more companies want to employ people who have this an entrepreneurial mindset. I know a lot of people who have that entrepreneurial approach, but have no desire to start their own business. They don't want the, all the stuff with it, all the yeah. mechanical invoicing and payroll and all that stuff, which is great. But they want to be able to go to work and in, be creative, enjoy the, the variety of, of innovation and, and curiosity. Why is that? Why should that not be available to all our young generation? You give them those tools and then say, right, go out there. You know, in, in Eastern philosophy, they didn't teach everybody a little bit about everything. 
right, which we do in our schools. They said, right, what's your interest today? And let's master that. Now, home, there's a massive thing around homeschooling at the moment. Yeah. Now, what homeschooling, the philosophy is around, with the child, is the child's in control. What do you want to talk about today? Oh, why is that tree now brown and not green? Right, let's talk about that. Yeah. Right? Why, why do cars break down? Well, oh, let's talk about that. Why does the UK have no volcanoes? Well, let's talk about that. Why is Donald Trump going to, if he's going to be president, why people don't like it? Well, let's talk about that. So, you know, you, you learn from curiosity and questioning as about, well, today you have to learn Pythagoras. Today mm-hmm. you're going to run why, learn why the Battle of Britain was so important in history. You today, imagine how great would it be if a child turned around and said, you know what, why do we wear red flowers called poppies? They're asking that. All of a sudden, you can tell them about World War War, servicemen dying, why we need to remember them, what we can learn from history through the child's question, as opposed to saying, at 10 o'clock, you've got a history lesson. It makes so much sense, doesn't it? It really does make sense. You learn so much better when you're interested in a subject and you're curious about that subject, rather than being told what to do, when to do, how to do it. Exactly. Like this week, around the football, they talked about, I don't know this podcast is going out, but... FIFA said to, uh, to the English FA that England players can't wear the poppy. There's going to be so many kids that are interested in football, so many, right? That will stimulate, why don't they wear poppies? You can teach us so much about the world history just through that question. Yeah. Right? And you're teaching everything about history, but it's come from the child. Oh, that's why we should wear poppies. So it's not a political statement, it's a remembrance thing. And we oh, I understand that. Oh, Okay. And yeah. how long? How much longer will that information stay in the children's head for? Exactly, yeah. massive because it's come from them. Yeah, yeah. there's a bit forced into them. So my thing around helping the young generation around what on spirit is about. So on spirit stands for entrepreneurial spirit. Is how do we stimulate the entrepreneurial spirit within people that allows them to create a life they design, they want, and through through content, through inspiration, through stories, through interviews, and through great education online and offline. That that's that's my mission, um, that that and with that you allow you empower people. Then they have choices, right? Then their confidence naturally goes up, and you you put them in an environment where you say it's okay to fail, and we will be there because when you fail, some of you will react really well, some of you will break down completely. But guess what? In this environment, we're going to put a, a, a hand around their shoulder. We're not going to laugh at you. And that's the difference. Yeah. Brilliant. And so where are you going now, Beju? What what's your what's your next step with the business and being able to create an entrepreneurial spirit in the UK and of course I know it's going to be global. So, <laughs> Onspirit.global will be is launching soon. By the time people listen to this podcast, it might be available. Onspirit.global. And it's a it's a content focused website. So the idea of it is we're looking for contributors from around the world who have got an opinion around how the world should develop through an entrepreneurial mindset. So I'm looking for, it's targeting purpose-driven entrepreneurs. Part of that is also, OnSpirit has an academy, so we're, we've got online and offline courses with partners, and we run masterminds and, um, uh, and boot camps and retreats around helping developing the entrepreneurial mindset. And I do that with partners, so I do that with other experts. It's not just about what my philosophy is, it's about working with others as well. Yeah. And uh, and then, yeah, it's, then it's, you know, I use social media quite a lot, and it's just really communicating a message out there. But it's, it's, it's if people are, it, the message is this, is if people are 
living the life they desire, fantastic. If people aren't, stop complaining and ask a question to yourself. Ask the question, what could you do? And then start researching and investigating. And don't believe that someone else that supposedly looks more successful, more prettier, more um, uh, more confident, had it all already. Yeah. They were at where you were now. Mm. You know, don't compare your chapter one with someone else's chapter 20. Um, and, and yeah, just, just persevere and make a difference. Fantastic. Thank you, Beju. I mean, it's been so good to have you on to talk about this kind of stuff which nobody actually really talks about and to hear your story and that you, you know through adversity being able to be who you wanted to be and actually believing in yourself so much in your passion that you decided to take that leap and thank god you did decide to take that leap in 2007 because otherwise you wouldn't be inspiring so many people or even talking to us no thank you laura thank you very for the time but that's exactly what you said there's other and and People listening to this, they might think, well, what do I have to offer the world? Well, your your gift will be someone else's salvage. Mm. So you, don't don't go to your grave without telling people about your gift and what you're about. Because even if you change one person's life, it makes a difference. I totally so, agree so, yeah. with you. Definitely. Thank you very much. So we have got, just to finish off, we've got eight quick fire questions, okay? All right. So, so we this, so I don't know what the questions are. No, you don't know what the questions are. So do you want me to... You go first. Okay, so number one, Beju, what's your most inspirational quote? Well, uh, be the change you want to see in others. Love that. Question two, what's your favourite destination you've been to and why? I love Bombay in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the vibe. I love the vibrancy. I love. I love that. I also love New York. Uh, again, I love the buzz and the vibrancy of it. Yeah. Cool. What do you want to be known for? Um, helping people change the world through developing their entrepreneurial spirit. I love that. Cool. What's your favourite movie and why? Apollo thirteen. I'll tell you why. So Apollo 13 is about a successful disaster. And the reason I love the movie, when the, when the moment happens where Tom Hanks says, Houston, we have a problem, at the, at the space station in Houston, there's a deadly silence. It's like, Houston, we have a problem. And then all of a sudden, there's a, a second layer, everybody's buzzing around, looking at the computer stuff. And then Ed Harris, who plays the character of the main sort of... Um, Commando, he sort of says, whoa, 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 everybody stop. everybody stop. He goes, work the problem, do not assume anything. Work the problem, do yeah. what you do what you need to do. And there's a some massive calmness there. Who are we going to be? There's nothing we can do. We can go, you know, you know, there's a million miles up there. Let's stay calm. And I, I encourage anybody to watch that film, watch that moment, and then how they then just work the problem. Their only goal was to get them back alive, and that was it. Nothing else mattered. Brilliant. And then everybody's experts came into there and it was a question of every expert had a role. There was no argument. Don't give me opinion. Give me your expert insight and then let's work the problem to get these people back. And yes, I love that That's film. Great, I nice. that. I've Very never seen that film so I'm going to have to watch it no, now. Watching, <laughs> Very good answer. Very good answer. I like that one. So what's your favourite song of all time and why? <laughs> <laughs> there are so many. There are so many... There's, I, haven't got an, I haven't got an all-time favourite song. There's songs that make mean different things yeah. for different reasons. Um, 
but there's so many. Uh, that you know the uh, Puff Daddy one, um, the, you know the one that's sampled with Police that record. Or yes, every every take. Take, so, yeah, yeah, that, that one's really that's point of memories. That's a good one. Uh, I love Kygo. Kygo, the Firestone. That's a great record. Um, what else? Savage Garden. Is that one? Yeah. I can't remember. But yes, I don't really have a song as such, a single song, but there's various ones. Okay. What's your first childhood memory? Um, my first childhood memory was uh, five years old. I was in India and we were playing fireworks and I went up to the fireworks and it blew up on my face. Whoa. Blew up on my face properly, you know, because no, there's no health and safety at this. Like, no. <laughs> and I was holding my face there and I, my mum thought I was burnt halfway. I was, I was very lucky. So I remember that I was five years old. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what a memory. Um, what question have you never been asked, but you've always wanted to be asked it? <laughs> Work the problem. <laughs> Are you really okay? Oh. That hit a bit of emotion there, didn't it? Yeah. You've wow. been asked it. Are you really okay? It's all relative, isn't it? Yeah. Relative. Uh, at this moment, I'm in a good place. Very Fantastic. good. Very good. And the very last question is, who is your most inspirational client and why? You two. Oh, <laughs> you old charmer. You two will be. <laughs> um, they're all, they're all because everyone's got a different journey. Mm. So whoever I work, and this is, it's not a sort of, because you can't say one's a favourite client because why they're your favourite is because they, they rub your ego even more or they make the biggest changes. It's anybody, you know, even after I did like I did a free consultation yesterday and, and he said, yeah, he, he, he had a, an epiphany about something and, so I love what I do, and um, I don't have a favourite client. It's it's I'm just very honoured that I'm in the position I am to able to help others. Quality. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Beji, thank you so much for joining us. It's been absolutely wonderful to sit with you and listen to your wisdom and your knowledge um, for, I can't even remember how long it is now, to be honest, it's just been going, it's time. Yeah, but yeah, thank yeah. you so much, we really appreciate it. And I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Laura and Barry. Uh, great, I really loved it. I loved it. Hopefully, the, the listeners will uh, will enjoy it as well. I'm sure yeah. they will. Thank you so much, guys, for joining and listening to this episode of the Fit Mind Project with Beiju. Um, we will be back with another guest. So stay tuned and thank you. Mm-hmm.